a military injustice episode on the Anything and Everything with Therese podcast. You're listening to a military injustice episode on the Anything and Everything with Therese podcast. This episode is brought to you by WYSK Spark Radio, the spark of the South. Find it on Live 365 Spark Radio. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Military Injustice. Last week, we began going over the ACCA document. We began with the summary of argument on pages 4 through 6. This week, we are continuing the ACCA document and going in greater detail the issues of the argument, and that begins on page 7. This part of the ACCA is 15 pages, and I will not be reading word-for-word 15 pages. I will, however, read word-for-word the main points of these issues. As I always offer you to see the official documents yourself, you can find them on the website www.militaryinjusticelawyer.com. I will also have a link to that website in the show notes below. Once you are at the website, go to the upper right-hand side of the screen and click on Case. Once in there, go to the button that says ACCA Document. There you will be able to follow along and you will also be able to read everything about the case in your own time. Today, I will start on page 7. The issue is whether evidence exists in petitioner's case that shows beyond a reasonable doubt that the findings and sentence by the panel were affected by the unlawful command influence of Colonel Bloss, the General Court Martial Convening Authorities, GCMCA, second in command, and of Colonel Derbyshire, the GCMCA's personal advisor to petitioner's prejudice and in violation of his Fifth Amendment right to due process and of his Sixth Amendment right to an impartial jury. The U.S. Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals ruled that, although an accused has the initial burden of raising unlawful command influence, he only has to present some evidence that the unlawful command influence exists. That can be found under U.S. v. Mobley, USAFCCA, comma, CCA Lexus, 1102, year 2013. Under Issue 2 of his original brief to the ACCA on behalf of Petitioner, ADC raised the issue of the potential for and the public appearance of implied bias, unlawful command influence during Petitioner's court-martial. ADC wrote, Issue 1, Whether the military judge abused his discretion in denying appellant's challenge for cause against Colonel Bloss, the General Court Martial Convening Authority's second-in-command. 
ABC then went on to write a masterful and detailed exposition of how the appointment of Colonel Bloss, the GCMCA second-in-command, to petitioner's panel as president of the panel, was in violation of RCM Rule 912 and clear case law. In his brief, ADC clearly reminded and pointed out to the ACCA, and I quote, RCM 912 and case law recognize the potential for the command to enter the deliberation room and the notions of implied bias and the liberal grant mandate are intended to prevent that from happening or being perceived as happening, end quote. You can find that at r at Petitioner's ABC Appellate Brief to ACCA, page 7 and 8. While in his original appellate brief, Petitioner's ABC brought to the ACCA's attention the issue of unlawful command influence by challenging the military judge's decision to allow the convening authorities second-in-command and deputy commander of JRTC and Fort Polk to remain not just as a member, but as president of the panel during petitioner's court-martial. The purpose of this brief is to present to this honorable court actual evidence from the record of trial that Colonel Bloss's unlawful command influence actually entered the deliberation room and that the UCI was bolstered by the presence of Colonel Derbyshire as an adverse prosecution witness against Petitioner and that together the presence of both the GCMCA's deputy and the GCMCA's personal advisor affected the findings and sentencing by the members to the prejudice of petitioner. ACCA denied this hobbyist. So in search for justice, the petitioner is now bringing this hobbyist to this honorable higher court for its consideration. Following is the argument pertaining to the issue set forth in this hobbyist. A. The members found Petitioner guilty of Specification 1 of Charge 2, violation of Article 134, UCMJ, in which it was alleged that Petitioner, and I quote, did at or near Fort Polk, Louisiana, on or about September 3, 2005, and November 29, 2007, Take indecent liberties with Kirsten, a female under 16 years of age, not the wife of the accused, by taking nude photographs and or video footage of the victim with the intent to arouse the sexual desire of the accused. And that can be found at R at DA form 4430-R. Page 2, Appendix C. B. The GCMCA, however, was afterward obligated 
to disprove the finding of guilty by the members of Specification 1 of Charge 2 and dismiss the specification because, and I quote, As a matter of law, there is insufficient evidence in the record to sustain the conviction as to Specification 1 of Charge 2, end quote. You can find that at R at Memorandum for Commander, Joint Readiness Training Center in Fort Polk, Fort Polk, Louisiana, 71459. Addendum to the Staff Judge Advocate's Recommendation in the General Court Martial of United States v. Captain Alexander Loya, dated June 30, 2010. AFZX-JA. C. The SJA had to thus recommend to the GCMCA the disapproval of said finding of guilty by the members because contrary to the members' finding, the actual CID forensic investigation findings concluded, and I quote, about 0930, November 12, 2008, S.A. Roberts completed forensic examination of all submitted items of evidence which revealed nothing of evidentiary value. No adult or child pornography was found on the digital media. End quote. And you can find that at R at CID Agents Investigation Report dated November 12, 2008, Appendix B. D. That the convening authority was obligated to and disapproved the finding of guilty by the members and dismissed the above specification, which he did on June 30, 2010, effectively proves that the findings of guilty by the members were unreliable and in error. And that's in Appendix B. We continue to page 9 under E. In fact, the CID investigation found nothing of evidentiary value and no physical evidence whatsoever through the entire investigation process, including no semen on the mattress the abused was alleged to have occurred to ejaculation for years to substantiate any of the charges and testimony against petitioner. And you can find that on R at CID Investigation Report, dated August 26, 2008, page 2, and page 3, the CID Agent's Investigation Report, dated September 8, 2008, page 2. The question that needs to be asked for the purpose of the resolution of this issue is, how could the members of a panel composed of officers of the United States Army make such a clear and obvious mistake in finding Petitioner guilty of using his daughter to essentially produce child pornography when they had no such child pornography in evidence to come to such erroneous conclusion to the point that 
their finding of guilty had to be afterward disapproved. The answer is found in what ADC pointed out and warned about in his appellate defense brief that RCM 912 and case law recognize the potential for the command to enter the deliberation room. As previously pointed out by the petitioner's ADC in his appellate brief to ACCA, Colonel Bloss stated that his current duty position was the Deputy Commander Chief of Staff, MSC Director for JRTC and Fort Polk. That's found on R at 308. He testified that the GCMCA, in this case, Brigadier General Yarbrough, was his immediate supervisor, that he worked hand-to-hand with him on a daily basis, and that his office, which was right across the hall from the convening authority, was, and I quote, considered part of the commander, deputy commander, and command sergeant major installation, is considered part of the command group for headquarters here, end quote. And that's found on R at 308. Colonel Bloss also testified that the GCMCA was his raider. And that's found at R at 309. Evidence from the record of trial not previously raised and not previously considered by this honorable court reveals that the command actually entered the deliberation room during petitioner's court-martial with Colonel Bloss. Although the deliberations pertaining to an accused guilt or innocence, and the sentencing deliberations as well, are secret, a de novo review of petitioner's record of trial clearly shows that Colonel Bloss's command authority and influence as deputy commander of Fort Polk and JRTC weighed heavily on the members and directly influenced them to make erroneous findings of petitioner's guilt, which is clearly evident by the fact that the GCMCA had to disapprove at least the member's finding of guilty of the production of child pornography alleged under Specification 1 of Charge 2. During the court-martial, as previously pointed out by ADC in his brief to ACCA, I quote, Colonel Bloss said that he was the rater for LTC Rickard. He said that he had been her rater for approximately two months and expected to provide an evaluation of her performance next year before she retires. End quote. And you can find that at R at 311-12. And although Colonel Bloss stated that he would not be embarrassed or restrained in any way in performing his duties as a court member if she were to disagree with him because as a senior rater, he encourages honest and frank opinions among all officers who work for him. You can find that at R at 312. It was LTC Rickard's impartiality 
and that of the other members, who were all, if not directly, indirectly, under Colonel Bloss's command authority, since he was the deputy commander of JRTC and Fort Polk. That should have been the MJ's concern, as the Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces has ruled, and I quote, The exercise of command influence tends to deprive service members of their constitutional rights. If directed against a court member, then the tendency is to deprive the accused of his right to a forum where impartiality is not impaired because the court personnel have a personal interest in not incurring reprisals by the convening authority due to a failure to reach his intended result, end quote. That's under U.S. v. Thomas, 22MJ388CMA Lexus 15022 from 1986. The following evidence from the record of trial clearly shows that the members were indeed affected by Colonel Bloss's influence and command authority and that at least LTC Rickard, who was expecting her yearly evaluation from Colonel Bloss before her retirement next year, was directly influenced by Colonel Bloss's assumptions and his direct command authority over her, a fact that was not previously raised or considered by this honorable court. During the trial, Colonel Bloss asked Captain Joel Gleason, Petitioner's friend and character witness under Appellate Exhibit Number 27. Question Appellate Exhibit 27 is a question posed by Colonel Bloss. What would you have done if you had discovered pornography on Captain Loya's computer? You can find that at R at 1034 AE 27. Colonel Bloss's question clearly assumes that pornography had actually been discovered on petitioner's computer by the forensic investigation, as is evident by his use of the legal term discovered. Colonel Bloss assumed pornography had been discovered on petitioner's computer, despite the fact that there was zero pornography discovered by the CID forensic investigation that Colonel Bloss's erroneous assumption at Fort Polk's deputy commander affected the subordinate officers in the panel of which he was president is evident in that they found petitioner guilty of the production of child pornography after Colonel Bloss's questioning of Captain Gleason under appellate exhibit number 27 despite the fact that there was zero pornography discovered and the members therefore had no pornography in the deliberation room to cause them to find petitioner guilty. The error of the members' finding is evident in that afterwards the GCMCA had to disapprove the finding of guilty by the members and dismiss specification 1 of charge 2, which alleged petitioner had produced child pornography. This weight of Colonel Bloss's command influence is clearly revealed by a de novo review of the record of trial 
in how immediately after Colonel Bloss, with his question and Captain Gleason under Appellate Exhibit Number 27, assuming pornography had been discovered on Petitioner's computer, Lieutenant Colonel Rickard, who was raided directly by Colonel Bloss and who was expecting Colonel Bloss's final evaluation before her retirement, obviously having a personal interest in not incurring a reprisal from Colonel Bloss, asked Captain Gleason under Appellate Exhibit Number 28. Question. Appellate Exhibit 28 questions posed by Lieutenant Colonel Rickard. Did the two of you ever pray about temptation of pornography? And you can find that at R at 1035, Appellate Exhibit number 28. It is not evident by her question about pornography in Appellate Exhibit number 28, immediately after Colonel Bloss's assumption that pornography had been discovered in Appellate Exhibit number 27, that Lieutenant Colonel Rickard was influenced by Colonel Bloss's assumption and that she wanted to please her rater, Colonel Bloss. Would this not be the appearance given to the general public? The record clearly and abundantly reveals a very telling pattern in Lieutenant Colonel Rickard's questioning of the witnesses not previously considered by this honorable court that literally overwhelmingly shows that she was under tremendous pressure to please her immediate rater, the deputy commander of JRTC in Fort Polk, Colonel Bloss, before her final evaluation, before her retirement the next year. Does not the following evidence from the record show how Lieutenant Colonel Rickard was not thinking independently of Colonel Bloss? and was tailoring her questions to the witnesses, and apparently to please and support Colonel Bloss. Questions to Sandra Loya, petitioner's ex-wife. Question by Colonel Bloss. Why have you not filed for divorce? And that's at R at AE 15. Question by Lieutenant Colonel Rickard. Why are you still married to Captain Loya after what he has done to your daughter? And that can be found at R at AE 16. Now has done bias of guilt before deliberations. Question to Captain Gleason. Question by Colonel Bloss. How often did Alex talk about Sandra in comparison to Kirsten? And you can find that at AE 27. Question by Lieutenant Colonel Rickard. How did Alex characterize his relationship with his wife? Found at AE28. Question to petitioner's sister, Shelley Loya. Question by Colonel Bloss. Would you describe Sandra Loya as lazy or pig-headed? Found at AE30. Question by Lieutenant Colonel Rickard. Why would you characterize Sandra's behavior as lazy? Found AE33. Questions to Kirsten Loya, petitioner's daughter and alleged victim. Question by Colonel Bloss. Did Alex conduct sexual acts with you during his R&R? If so, what did he do? 
found at AE 43, questioned by Lieutenant Colonel Rickard. Did your father request oral sex from you while he was on R&R? Found at AE 45. Questioned by Colonel Bloss. Why do you refer to your father as Alex? Found at AE 43. And questioned by Lieutenant Colonel Rickard. Since when have you called Captain Loya Alex first daddy? Found at AE 46. And at the bottom of page 12, please notice that the above pattern always shows Lieutenant Colonel Rickard asking questions of the witnesses echoing Colonel Bloss and or to shed more light on Colonel Bloss's questions after Colonel Bloss's questions and never the other way around. This is crucial to note because Colonel Bloss was the deputy commander of JRTC and Fort Polk and the GCMCA's second-in-command, and Lieutenant Colonel Rickard's immediate supervisor and rater, from whom Lieutenant Colonel Rickard was expecting her final evaluation before her retirement the next year. Does this not show that Lieutenant Colonel Rickard was following Colonel Bloss's lead? and was trying very hard to please him, and not the other way around? Does this certainly not abundantly meet the requirement by Mobley that the petitioner only has to provide some evidence of UCI? Does this not show to this honorable court that there is reasonable doubt that Colonel Bloss's command influence entered the deliberation room and affected the findings and sentence of petitioner's court-martial to petitioner's prejudice? Is this not evidence that Colonel Bloss's unlawful command influence entered the deliberation room and affected at least Lieutenant Colonel Rickard's impartiality? Would this not be the appearance given to the general public? Halfway down page 13. Colonel Bloss's assumption that pornography had been discovered on petitioner's computer weighed heavily in the mind of the members and that it was being considered by them, ill affecting their assumptions and prejudice against petitioner through the trial from the point where Colonel Bloss assumed pornography had been discovered with his questioning of Captain Gleason under Appellate Exhibit Number 27. It's evident in that later in the trial, Lieutenant Colonel Rickard was still entertaining in her mind Colonel Bloss's assumption that pornography had been discovered on petitioner's computer. Asking Kirsten Loya under appellate exhibit number 45, what was the location he took photos, videos of you? What installation were you on? And you can find that on AE45. Obviously, also assuming, like her raider, Colonel Bloss, that such photos and videos of Kirsten had been discovered, despite the fact that the CID found no such evidence, and therefore Lieutenant Colonel Rickard had no evidence to base these questions to Kirsten, but the assumption of Colonel Bloss, her immediate raider, and the convening authority that pornography had been discovered on petitioner's computer.
Going into page 14, it was indeed Colonel Bloss's UCI that prompted Lieutenant Colonel Rickard's questions and assumptions about pornography and not Kirsten Loya's testimony. It's evident in that all of the members, only Lieutenant Colonel Rickard, asked questions about pornography after Colonel Bloss's initial question, assuming pornography had been discovered. The members then went into the deliberation room with no pornography at all in evidence and with not one of them having asked any questions about pornography other than Colonel Bloss and Lieutenant Colonel Rickard, assuming pornography had been discovered. Would the two of them effectively constitute a command team? The members, among whom were at least two majors, inferior in rank and authority to both Colonel Bloss and Lieutenant Colonel Rickard, and all inferior in position of authority to the deputy commander of JRTC and Fort Polk Colonel Bloss, then walked out of the deliberation room, having found petitioner guilty of using Kirsten Loya to produce child pornography, despite the fact that they had no such pornography in the deliberation room because there was zero pornography and nothing of evidentiary value found by the CID. And despite the fact that none of them had asked any questions of Kirsten about pornography, does this not show that their finding of guilty of this specification was not based on any evidence nor on Kirsten's testimony, but on the assumption and command influence of JRTC's convening authorities, second-in-command, Colonel Bloss, supported by Lieutenant Colonel Rickard, that pornography had been found on petitioner's computer. Does the above sequence of events not show that there was indeed a real potential for command influence? On the members' deliberations? Going into page 15, we will find that this honorable court has ruled that there are historic concerns about the real and perceived potential for command influence on members' deliberations. That's under United States v. Briggs, 64 MJ 285-287, CAAF, 2007. Is this not the appearance given to the general public and in violation of RCM Rule 912 and clear case law? Since this rule includes both actual bias and implied bias, as this honorable court has ruled, and I quote, the focus of this rule is on the perception or appearance of fairness of the military justice system. There is implied bias when most people in the same position would be prejudiced. Implied bias is viewed through the eyes of the public, focusing on the appearance of fairness. End quote. United States v. Miles, 58 MJ at 194, CAAF, in year 2003. The convening authority had to then disapprove 
the finding of guilty of this specification by the members and significantly reduce the sentence adjudged by the members, Appendix B. Does this not bring into question the members' unbiased and untainted ability to render judgment? In our next episode, we will continue with the unlawful command influence in the person of Chaplain Colonel David Derbyshire. For comments or questions, you can reach us by email at yappy at post.com. Also, check us out on Twitter at Dorisi and our Facebook pages at Yappy Studio or Louisiana Entertainment Association. Look for the Military Injustice logo on the Anything and Everything with Doris podcast for another episode of Military Injustice. Thank you for listening to a Military Injustice episode on the Anything and Everything with Doris podcast.